Good morning. It's always awesome to see the little kiddos in here. You guys have fun up there with Mr. Trevor, all right? Uh, good morning. My name is Ben. I am, as David uh, said earlier, I am an elder here at Doxa Church, and it is a uh, privilege. It really is an honor um, to to do what we do, uh, to be able to, to be part of uh, the leadership here at Doxa Church. Uh, God's doing some really awesome things. It's a, it's incredible to be a part of it, and so I'm just excited uh, that the Lord's allowed me to have a front row seat to what he's doing here. If you do have your Bibles this morning, <clears throat> great. If you don't, we have some for you uh, at the front door when you came in. If you'd like to take one of those, you are more than welcome to do so. Uh, but we're going to be in Psalm 63. This isn't necessarily a Christmas psalm. Um, I think we're going to see some some Christmas flavor in it, uh, but we're going to be in Psalm 63, and I want us to <clears throat> I want us to see a few things this morning. But as you guys are flipping there, I'm just going to read it, um, and so we can kind of get our minds starting to wrap around God's word here. Because honestly, the reason that like church has been effective for thousands of years is not just because God ordained it, but it's because the Holy Spirit takes the truths of the words that God's already said and he plants them deeper and deeper into our hearts and makes it real to us. And so there's really not a whole lot that I can say, um, but there's a whole lot that the Holy Spirit can take and that he can say in our hearts and lives and change us with. So I want us to just look at this, the timeless truth of God's word. In Psalm 63, I'll, I'll read uh, all 11 verses. It says, Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you, my soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there's no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. Because your steadfast love is better than life. My lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food. And my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. When I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night, for you have been my help. And in the shadow of your wings, I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. But those who seek to destroy my life shall go down into the depths of the earth. They shall be given over to the power of the sword. There shall be a portion for jackals. But the king will rejoice in God. All who swear by him shall exult, for the mouths of liars will be stopped." This is Psalm 63, and I want, to start, I want to start off by sharing a few stories with you, okay? And I want to talk about this idea of joy. If you do have a handout, you probably saw the title of the message is, is Joy, How You Can Be a Garden in the Wilderness. Normally, the wilderness or the desert isn't known by its gardens. All right, there's always that one person in the crowd that's like, mm, actually, Ben, there are 17 gardens in each con okay, okay, I'm sure there are some gardens in a wilderness somewhere, but normally, uh, the desert is plain and dry. And often in life, there are some difficult times that we walk through where life can be really dry, where your soul is not being nourished, where you are, you're actually experiencing pain, hurt. Things are taken from you. Pain is inflicted on you. You are walking through some difficult times and you, you don't see why there's any way you could be a garden, why you could flourish, why you could thrive in the middle of that pain. But I want us to see this morning that we have actually a, a number of examples where we can, despite walking through some of the hardest times of our lives, we can thrive. 
We can flourish like a garden in the wilderness. And no matter what the circumstances come at us, whatever, whatever they throw at us, it doesn't matter because I'm going to cling to God. So we're going to take a look at this this morning. A few examples of this, because maybe you're thinking, is this even possible? All right. My spouse just left me. Spouse just hurt me. I just lost my job. Is this even possible to be joyful, to ha- experience joy in hard times? All right, to answer that question, I want to bring up a couple examples. Have you guys ever heard of Joseph? Not just your, like, your friend Joe, everyone knows of Joe, but Joseph in the Bible. Remember the story of Joseph, how his own brothers sold him into slavery? They threw him into prison after that for uh, false accusation. Do you guys remember the story of Joseph? Like really bad circumstances, thrown in jail by his brothers. I have really good brothers. They're mature now. Maybe at one point they wanted to imprison me, but probably did. But now we're currently friends and they don't want to imprison their own brother. But these guys hated Joseph so much, they sold him into slavery. This is a bad circumstance. This is a bad situation. Your own family doesn't want anything to do with you. They actually, not just like, you don't pretend that you're here. Like, they want you to actually experience pain and poverty. Like, it's, it's next level stuff. But despite this, Joseph's focus is on God. In uh, <clears throat> the Old Testament, Pharaoh actually tries to compliment Joseph in 2 Samuel. He tries to tell Joseph about how good he is with explaining dreams because you remember when he's in jail, there were the two guys that come to him and they say, hey, can you interpret this dream? And he does, and uh, it's good for one guy, bad for the other. And so now he comes to Pharaoh, it finally comes to his attention that Joseph is this dream teller. And he tries to tell him, man, Joseph, I've heard about you. You are just, you're killing it with the whole dream interpretation thing. And Joseph, he, he stops him and he's, he's quick to say, no, no, it's actually not me. God will give you an answer. And his focus, despite all this, is always on God. And it's so obvious that his heart is in tune with God that even Pharaoh notices this. And he says, man, can we find a man like this in whom is the spirit of God? So Joseph's walking through a hard time. He's in prison. He is smelling some weird smells. <laughs> he's hearing the cries of the people in pain around him. He is, he's visualizing just some stuff that we will never hopefully ever see. But through all of that, bad circumstances, his focus is on God and to the point where that's his reputation is he has the spirit of God. Man, he is focused. This is awesome. What about Paul and Silas? If you want to talk about people who are focused, people who experienced the joy that God brings despite what was going on around them, look at Paul and Silas. Acts 16 tells us they were just attacked. All right, they're just attacked by a mob. Like, any of you guys <laughs> been there before? How many of you guys have been attacked by a mob? <clears throat> okay, all right. So Paul and Silas are in the, the rare few. I was in downtown Denver once. And two guys came up behind me, strapped my arms. One guy grabbed my arms behind my back, and the other guy started punching me in my stomach. That's the worst I've ever had it, though. They were, like, probably 12. <laughs> so it was more of a joke than actual reality. Uh, <clears throat> but we, we haven't been there. But these guys were just attacked by a mob. The leaders in the area, they, they order for them to be stripped and beaten with rods. And that wasn't enough. They're flogged. All right, once again, none of us are tracking at this point. Like, none of us, like, no, we're 0 for 3. 
Paul and Silas? No, three for three. <laughs> They're going through a lot. They're in the inner cell, as Acts 16 tells us. So they're in like the heart of the prison where the worst of the worst were and their feet are in stocks. And what are they doing? You guys remember this story? What are they doing? They're singing. They're praying and singing hymns to God. Verse 25 of Acts 16. They're praying and singing hymns to God. And the others were listening and being encouraged. Guys, these guys are walking through some of the hardest times of their lives. Like you want to talk about bad circumstances, a really bad situation. These guys are in it. And their response, they're flourishing. They are a garden in this desert. They are singing their hearts out. They are lifting high the name of Jesus Christ at midnight in the innermost jail. And everyone's getting, they're having like a praise service in prison. Because they've experienced the love of, of God. Paul himself, he wrote the book of Philippians, which is a, a book about joy from prison. <laughs> he's in prison. He's more than likely tethered. He's tied or chained to a, a praetorian guard eight to 12 feet from his person. So as he's writing this, rejoice in the Lord, rejoice in the Lord, rejoice in the Lord, he's in jail. His life rots. And he's experiencing and he's embracing the love of God. He's, he's walking with God in such a way that he is a garden in that wilderness. So guys, it is possible. It really is. And, and hopefully these examples aren't ones we'll find ourselves to be the characters in. We don't want to be in those stories. Um, <clears throat> but we will go through our own versions of that. And you may have already done some of that. You may have walked through some of the hardest times of your life. You may have already come through a lot of pain. You have a lot of, of metaphorical bruises. You, so your, fam, your family, your friends have failed you. They have hurt you. They have betrayed you. The people that you used to run with have completely turned their backs on you. They have, been, you have, they have cut you off. They have mistreated you. Maybe you're the one that's made poor decisions, and you are experiencing dryness. Man, my soul is not nourished. I'm actually hurt. And I don't know how I can have joy in this situation. I don't even know how that's possible. Well, guys, it is. And we're gonna take some time to look at that, all right? Even when the bottom drops out, we can still be okay. We can still be centered. We can still have joy. So Psalm 63 is gonna answer this question, all right? Is it possible or rather, it's going to answer the question, how? How can I experience joy when life totally stinks? How can I experience joy? All right, guys, we're coming right out of the gates. Psalm 63, verse 1, the first words are going to tip us off here. Oh, God, you are my God. First point, make God your intimate companion. Make God your intimate companion. Oh God, you are my God. And what this means is that God is not common. He is not ordinary. He is not a generalized God. He's not this one size fits all in the sense that, you know, he just looks at everyone in the exact same way. No, no, like he knows specific things about you. He knows you particularly well. He knows the, every situation that you've walked through. He's a personal God. You are my 
God. He knows what I spend my thoughts on. He knows the hair on my head and how many that are. And for me, that's a harder job than someone else with a fuller head of hair. It's more like an active role to make sure, oh, oh, you just lost a few. But he knows all of this about me. He knows me so intimately and personally. He's a personal God. So this is what he's saying. He's, he's not common And I think when when we cry out to God and we say, oh God, you are my God, this is also us telling him that he has exclusive rights to my soul. You have exclusive rights to my heart. I am yours. Anyone else wearing one of these? Can you see? What does that mean? It means I'm married, right? It means I am married. And, And when I say Becca is my wife, it means something. She is mine, and I am hers, and it's exclusive. I, I don't, is that weird yet? Maybe like 20 years from now, exclusive marriages will be weird. I hope not. But it, it means it's exclusive. We have an intimate relationship. No one else does. No one else is in on that. It's just mine. It's just Becca's, and it's God's. We share that. that she is my intimate companion, and God even more so. You are my God. There is no one else like you, and there's no one else for me. You are my God. I love this. I love this. We could, we could play this out in another way. We, we've already had this, the spirit of giving, the season of giving, and when those children in India, when they're getting rescued from the rock quarries and they hear the name Jesus, oh, man, it is going to invoke this response in those children, that they worship God. That's actually what we're seeing. This is why we're giving money to the kids in India, right? Because when they come and rescue them, when the, when the people of Child, Child Freedom Coalition come and rescue the children, they say, Jesus rescued you. And while you were down there, and you might have cried out to 20 other gods, Jesus has exclusive rights to your soul. He loves you. He has saved you. Oh man, guys, you are my God. God, you are my God. This is what it is to be known by God. And since he, he knows me so well and he has this exclusive access to our heart, guys, we just, we welcome him in. We declare that you are my God. We declare that you are my God, all right? God, you do know everything about me. This is a joke for me to pretend otherwise. God, you do have exclusive rights to my heart. You can do whatever you want. Here I am. I am yours. You know everything about me. And so we welcome him in and we declare. We declare that. Do you see? That's now a declaration. God, you are my God. You're mine. My, uh, I have a three-year-old and he kind of makes me feel this way. Uh, he talks to everyone he meets. We're working on it. <laughs> Stranger danger, we're working on it. Uh, but he, he's everywhere we go, hi, hi, hi. And if I'm with him and someone actually takes the time to stop and you know, start to interact with him, he'll say, hi, this is daddy. <laughs> this is mommy, and Camden, <laughs> and daddy. This is my daddy. And man, you know what that does to me? When my little boy is so excited and he's so proud that I'm his daddy that he announces it to the world, he declares to random strangers, this is my daddy. <laughs> In a goofy way. That's what's going on here, though. You are my God. And I'm so proud of you. And I'm so proud to be yours. You are my God. So if you want to tangibly give glory to our unique and holy God, 
Tell him and those around you that he is your God. Second way to experience joy in a dry and thirsty land, to experience a flourishing garden in the wilderness, make God your initial desire. Make God your initial desire. We're still in verse one, and it won't take this long to walk through all 11 verses, I promise. Your Bible might say early, I seek you. Mine says earnestly, I seek you. Earnestly, I seek you. He is our supreme desire. Above all other desires, it's him. So it might say early, like I said, it might say earnestly. Whatever it says, the idea is that God is the initial desire in your heart. He's that supreme desire. Because no one knows me like you do, God, and no one loves me like you do, God, and no one gets me like you do, I want you. And, and there's this, this basic fundamental idea built into this, this passage here in the same way that the body craves and desires and needs food. Our soul has a fundamental desire to be nourished and filled by God. We wanna marinate our souls in the truth of Jesus. What about this? Because Okay, so... Before I ask the question, I think it is like, it needs a little clarification here. So your Bible might say, early will I seek you. I don't think that's a direct reference to the clock. Okay, I don't think that's a direct reference to 6 a.m. But at the same time, it could be. (laughs) It really, it could be. (laughs) All right, I'm not exactly sure. But question, what do you want so badly that you are willing to wake up early to get it. Maybe your mind is racing, you're thinking through what that would be. Is it God? Is it a relationship with him? Like, man, Ben, I don't wake up ever early. (laughs) Like, what's that shirt? Like coffee loading or caffeine loading or something? I don't wake up till I got caffeine in my body. Okay, I get it, I get it. But what's that thing that you want so badly you wake up early to get it? Guys, this is what what David is painting here in this passage is this desperation for God. As As in a dry and weary land where there's no water, my soul thirsts for you. So I'm gonna chase you down, God. I'm gonna get up early and I'm gonna act like you are the last drop of water in the desert. I'm gonna act like I've gotta get this or I'm not gonna make it. That water's gonna dry up. And that's where the analogy breaks down. God's love, God's kindness, his grace, that that never dries up, praise God. But do we have this urgency that we see David have? This excitement, this desperation. Man, guys, me and Jeremy, where's Jeremy? Jeremy, raise your hand. Me and that guy this year, we worked out three times a week at 6 a.m., 6.30. I was normally late, so 6.45. We worked out early for like three months, <laughs> and we lost it. Uh, we complete, well, you moved, so that didn't help. But, <laughs> but I wanted to get rid of the dad bod, and I woke up to get rid of it. Like, I woke up early, okay, <laughs> you're laughing, you're like, you still have it. Okay, yeah, you're right, you're right, fine. It didn't go away. <laughs> uh, I woke up early because I want to get rid of, 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 you know, some extra layers here, 
Maybe you're waking up because you want a few extra dollars in your wallet. Or maybe you're waking up early because you want to get a jump start on being prepared for the day and make sure life goes smoother. Make sure the kids have what they need and make sure there's food in, the, in their lunch boxes and make sure everything's good to go. And whoop, all of that, guys. God's not at the root of those things. Guys, are we waking up? And once again, I, I'm not saying wake up early like that's exactly what David's saying here, but I'm also saying it could be what he's saying, <laughs> all right? He could be saying like, guys, wake up, it's fine. But here's the deal. If we're real about God, if we're real about having a walk with him, you wanna wake up early, right? You want him. He's going to be your initial desire. When I wake up, Back in our dating days, man, it was like, grab my phone. Did Becca text me? Like, she was my initial desire. Is that right? It's a good thing. It's a great thing. You know, he who finds a wife finds favor. I love that. But it wasn't God who was my initial desire. Once again, I'm not saying you can never look at your phone. Okay, that's not what I'm saying. (laughs) But when you have a walk with God, and you have tasted him, and you know what it's like to be loved by him with all of your flaws, with nothing to offer back to him at all, zero. And it's incredible that he would love me enough to pursue a relationship with me. Man, we should be excited about this. But sadly, there are people in this room, our initial desire is self Pleasing self, feeding self, loving self, discovering self, building up self. Our first impulse, our first initial desire is to protect myself, or maybe it's whatever. Our first, our initial desire of our hearts is designed to be God. So earnestly I seek you. Man, so how, you say, Ben, how can, how can I get there, all right? So I don't want my initial desire to be me, all right? I, I, I get it. I understand that that's sin. That is not God's plan for my life. So what now? What do I do? Well, let's go to the Bible. Next verse, David tips his hat to what, how we can make God our initial desire. He says this, I have looked upon you in the sanctuary. Verse two, you guys see that? So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. Man, if we want to make God our initial desire, and we want to make him the the, the top priority in our lives, guys, we've got to spend some time gazing at his incredible sufficiency. Gaze on his sufficiency. He is enough. David says that I went and I spent time in the sanctuary beholding God's power and glory. All right, this is where I think it would be helpful to give some backstory. So when David is writing this psalm, all right, we know that your Bible might even say it at the very top, a psalm of David when he was in the wilderness of Judah. So when David is penning Psalm 63, he's probably in a cave. His son wants to kill him. All right, so we've been taking the Joseph story, like similar, maybe next level. His own son, David's son, wants to kill him. Do you guys understand the emotional turmoil that that would be? Remember my, 
aforementioned three-year-old, <laughs> I get some pretty terrifying ideas when I think of him trying to kill me. But my, your son is after you. He wants nothing to do with you. I hate you, Dad. I am actually going to usurp the throne. I'm going to be king. I want the family business. You're out, man. We actually know about Absalom, David's son. He would sit at the front gate of the city, and he would welcome everyone who came in, and he'd get them on his side. And he slowly turned parts of the kingdom against David, his dad. Man, how weird would that be if some other pastor from a different church came at 10.30 or 10 o'clock on Sunday mornings, parked right out here, and just started talking about his church? Like, oh, oh, okay, <laughs> this is Doxa Church, man. Like, we're for the kingdom here, but, like, this doesn't make any sense. It doesn't work like that. This is what David's son is doing. Not our David and Beckham, not those guys. This is what King David, he's doing, is he's, he's turning everyone against him, against his father, and he's going he's gonna to take over. So David is sitting in a cave, not in a palace, doing things for himself, not having servants work for him, right? He's trying to remember his stash of funds that were aplenty as he sits in his palace and as he rules from a throne in his comfort. He's, he's dried up. He's, he's, he's feeling some desperation. Like, I got to stay hidden or my son is going to kill me. And there's almost, as he, you can almost sense the, the soberness that David has when he pens this, where it's like, he's trying not to tremble. He might still be shaking a little bit because he's running from someone who's trying to kill him. And he says this, though. Man, this is incredible. Like, everything that could go wrong in David's life is going wrong. And he still says, I've beheld your power and your glory. And he still says, your steadfast love is better than life. Oh my, have you guys ever, have you got there in your spiritual life? David's sitting in this cave and he's thinking through his servants. He had a lot of concubines, wealth, his freedom to choose anything at any time, his palace. But no, no, David says, to be loved by you is better than all of that. Whatever this world has given me, and David's been given a lot. He's got nothing. It has got nothing on the steadfast love of God. Is it starting to make sense now? You're going through some hard times. You're walking through some painful experiences. You're experiencing some deep depression. You're going through some hard times. Oh, man, but nothing compares to the steadfast love of God. Nothing is sweeter. Nothing is more impactful. Nothing is better than being loved by an almighty, infinitely powerful, and intensely personal God. This is awesome. This is how I feel about my wife's cooking. You can, you can feed me what you got, but nothing compares to Becca Joy's cooking. <laughs> nothing compares What's that song? I think we sing it as a church. Nothing compares. I lost it. <laughs> so if we want to find, if we want to talk about finding joy in the difficulties of life, yes, we need to gaze at him. We need to revel in what we know about him. But guys, you just have to taste of his steadfast love. 
You just have to taste. You know, Charles Spurgeon wrote an entire sermon. The Prince of Preachers from the 1800s, he wrote an entire sermon called The Sip That Satisfies. That is awesome. That's the love of God. That is the steadfast love of God as you take a sip, and that is plenty. Man, I take one sip of the love of God, and it's got me spinning for a week. Just, just one, one hint of the flavor of the love of God. That changes me from the inside out. Guys, so if we are walking through a hard time right now, if it's really rough, it doesn't make a lot of sense, guys, calm down, bend a knee, experience the love of God. Embrace it, receive it, accept it. There is nothing that you could do that would ever remove his love from resting on you. Here's another thing that changed my Christian life. God is not going to love a better version of you five years or 10 years from now any more than he does you today. That changed the way I view God. Guys, you don't have to clean it up, all right, before you accept God's love. It's not how it works. God can't love you more than he does right now. God cannot be more faithful to you than he is now. He cannot be kinder to you than he is right now. So just stop and gaze on that. Marinate in that. Soak it in. Love it. Embrace it. Let Be changed by it. The love of God is better than life. Man, when, when, when I think about this, I think of when we baptized Jacob Wilkins. He, he's in uh, school, so he's in Michigan right now. This summer we baptized Jacob, and we asked him, uh, a little bit about that. And what he said, he, I don't know if you guys remember this, but he said, God is the only thing in my life that doesn't change. God is the constant in my life. Yes, 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 this is it. This is the love of God that never fades. Oh, it chases me down. It fights till I'm found. It leaves the 99. I couldn't earn it and I don't deserve it. Yet you give yourself away. Guys, sadly, the church is full of people who are doing nothing with the love of God. Maybe we're receiving it. Maybe we're taking advantage of it. But we're not gazing on it. We're not loving it. We're not embracing it. We're not being changed by it. There's no urgency that the love of God has created. There's no motivation that moves us to mission as we so frequently talk about about around here. I find myself guilty as well. But let's, we got to stop a minute and just soak up the love of God. So maybe even today, maybe in this, it's, it's really easy in this Christmas season for our schedule to be slammed. And we're going from one thing to the next. We got to do this and get this ready. And it's so easy to, to just fill up every moment of every day. What if before all your joy is gone, you just need to stop and take a long look at the power and the glory of God. Maybe that's what we need, maybe even today. So I think after we, <clears throat> excuse me, sorry guys, uh, once we experience the love of God, we're gonna have a, an urgency that is driven by our dependency <clears throat> because we've experienced his sufficiency. And so now our response is to admire him publicly and privately. So I think the, the next way that we can be a a garden in the wilderness is to respond with intentional 
praise. And this is what we see in the next uh, part of the, the word here. After he says, after David makes this crazy statement that your steadfast love is better than life, he follows it immediately with, my lips will praise you. My lips will praise you. So our response to a loving, unconditionally loving God like that, our immediate response is praise. All right, he even uses our lips. And I love that he clarifies this. A couple of verses later, he's gonna say, with joyful lips. All right, so he's not just talking about showing up at church and kind of like eh, putting on a smile and, and, and maybe just kind of existing while everyone else is around you raising their hands to the king. They're opening their mouths. We are praising, we are adoring the king. You're just kind of existing and taking up space and you're just like, ah, this is all I got today. He's saying, no, 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 we actually use words. My response to a personal and unwavering God, love of loving God, it's gonna come out of me using words. And I often wonder about some of us. Do you guys ever give compliments? <clears throat> Praising God is so much more than compliments, but this is a practical idea. Do you ever praise someone else or something else? Man, some of you guys barely smile. Like we, we would have to pay you to smile. <clears throat> Maybe, well, that makes me wonder, is there a hole, is there a gap in your spiritual life? Because if you have a hard time saying nice things to the people around you, I don't think it has to say this, but does that mean you have a hard time saying nice things about who God is, about praising God, lifting his name high in your own heart, and complimenting God? He doesn't need it. We need it. <laughs> when we praise God, it fills us with life. He, that's how it works here. <clears throat> So maybe you need to start just opening your mouth more and praising his name for more because of his steadfast love, his faithful, loving kindness. Because guys, frankly, that's where life is. And when we put God in his rightful place in our hearts and in our lives, it changes us. It changes us. And when we experience that, we respond and we use words. We sing, we talk, we adore we praise, we honor, we revere him with our words. And isn't that, that's, that's how it goes. I love food. I've been talking about it a lot all morning. Same thing. Man, when you have a good meal, what is like your first response after maybe the first few bites or after you're done with that first plate? Like what's your first response? Man, thank you so much. This is amazing. Like it's just, this makes sense. This is the natural response of humans. So when we sit there and we gaze at the feast, of a loving God, our natural response is, thank you. God, you are incredible. This is amazing. God, no one else could prepare life the way that you do. No one else could season life with the grace and the love, the kindness that you do. No one else can do it like that, God. I praise your name. I love you. I'm so thankful for you. We respond with intentional praise. Then David says, I will bless you as long as I live. Man, another kind of shocking statement because as he says, your steadfast love is better than life and it's kind of, it wows you like, man, I don't know if I'm that level yet. He, he, now he says, as long as I live, I will bless you. He declares it. I will bless you as long as I live. And I don't know what 2020 is bringing me. Remember, he's also in a cave. Like he doesn't know what outside of the cave is gonna bring him. He has no clue. 
if he's going to live to see the next sunrise. He does not know. But he says, as long as I have life, as long as I have breath in my lungs, as long as I live, I will praise you. Guys, man, is this starting to make sense? To get us out of that valley, to get us out of that, the, being consumed with the, the circumstances around us that are painful, this, can, this starts to draw us out of there. And we say, you know what? You're in control. Your love will never leave me. Do I need anything else? Man, I have been loved by God. Guys, this is exactly how, <laughs> this is exactly how, you want me to answer that? I can answer that. It's mom. No, I'm just kidding. Whoever 864909 is, they are, wow. <clears throat> this is exactly how we can be a garden in the desert, guys. If the circumstances that we are in are bleak, seem hopeless, I will still bless you. But Ben, I have no one pouring into me. I will still bless your name. But Ben, I feel alone. I feel hopeless. I will still look to you, God. I will lift your name with joyful lips. But Ben, I've been defeated. Sin has got me down for a long time. I will still lift your name high. Ben, I don't have any purpose. What am I doing on this planet? I will still bless your name. I will still lift the name of God with joyful lips. I will lift my eyes from, to the hills from where my help comes. Whether I am empty or whether I am full, I will bless you. And this is exactly what David says. Whether I'm empty or full, whether I'm rich or poor, whatever you bring me, I will praise your name. Man, he says that because he's walked with God. He, he understands what it is to be incredibly, intensely loved by God. He even says, my soul will be satisfied with fat and rich food, and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. Man, that, that imagery of fat and rich food is much like a Thanksgiving feast, much like a, a feast that we recently experienced at the end of November. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food, and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. So when the circumstances have all dried up around me, when the friends who used to like me now hate me, when the funds I used to have an abundance of are now gone, when the love that I used to feel is no longer, when the ease of life has been replaced with pain, my soul can still be like a thanksgiving feast. I can be up to my eyes in the rich truth, in the intimate love of a personal and powerful God. You can still be a garden in the wilderness. Guys, that is awesome. All right, so imagine with me, David's hiding. He's hiding from his own son. He's, he's trying to, he, his own son is gonna, wants to kill him. He's getting kicked out of his own kingdom. He's being hunted down. He has no palace, no comfort, no security. Imagine with me. <clears throat> David has every reason to be stressed out to the max, right? Every reason to be stressed out to the max, but how does David respond? And I want us to see this in verse seven, and I'm almost done. I want us to see this in verse seven. How David responds, he has every right, every reason to freak out. And he says, you have been my help. This is the last point. And we don't mean this arrogantly. Guys, we've got to act like we've been here before. We've got to act like we've been here before. David doesn't freak out. He says, you know what? 
I have been in similar situations before and God showed up. And so I can confidently say, you have been my help. God, this is consistent with who you are. This is in your makeup to help me. And you know what? I have example after example after example where God, you actually did help me. You guys remember when David defeated Goliath? Same thing. God wasn't, David wasn't looking at a 10 foot tall dude who was ripped out of his mind. He was like, no, I've got a, I have a, I have a really, really powerful God. Like he got, he'll use anybody. I'll go. He's been in a situation before where it looks like life has outnumbered him, but no, 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 God came through and God was powerful and faithful. Somehow God enabled David to kill a lion, to kill a bear with his own hands. Like what? This is crazy. So David, when he gets to this position where he's tempted to lose it, he's tempted to just absolutely be freaked out, stressed out to the max, he says, you have been my help. And I remember times in my life where the tears have flowed and I didn't know how to stop them. I remember times in my life where I've, I thought I could never experience more pain, but God showed up. And in those moments, he administered his faithful, loving kindness like healing balm on my soul. Because that's the kind of God we have. So we've got to act like we've been here before. Act like we've seen this before. Act like you have help because you do. Guys, whatever you're going through right now, don't freak out. Don't let the circumstances of life plant weeds in your garden. You can flourish like a garden in the wilderness. You can. All right, well, how does this like have anything to do with Christmas? <laughs> this is Christmas week after all. We're three days from Christmas. This joy thing, this experiencing joy thing, deep-seated, lasting, resolute joy, it's contingent on one thing. In the hardest times of your life, to experience joy, you have to know Jesus. Because Jesus is joy. To experience true, lasting joy, you have to know the gospel. And the gospel is this. We are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. And at the same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus than we ever dared hope. Jesus willingly delivered himself over to die. He wanted you and me to walk free from our sin more than he wanted to live. But he gave it all. He took the hit. He stood in my place. He became a sacrifice for me on my behalf. He made the way for the penalty of my sin to disappear. He made a way for me to avoid eternal judgment. He took from me what no one ever else would. He took my sin. And God the Father looked at that sacrifice of Jesus and he accepted it. He said, it is good. The sacrifice for it to be one and done, it had to be perfect. And Jesus was the perfect sacrifice. And when Jesus Christ died a perfect after a perfect life on the cross, it unleashed an eternity of forgiveness. And that's what allows you and me to walk free. Despite you and me being the exact reason he died. Our scars are erased. We're given a hope and a future and inheritance. We are giving, given Jesus. So this morning, guys, can you say with all of us other desperately broken Christians, oh God, you are my 
God, thank you so much for sending us Jesus. Thank you that you love us more than we could ever imagine. Lord, I don't know what's going on in the hearts of the people here today. You do. You're already at work. Lord, we welcome you and we encourage you. We ask you to continue working and to change us, to make us more like your son. Lord, would you, right now, the people that are walking through the hardest times of their lives, show up. Remind them of how that's, that's who you are and that's what you're like. You have no intention of changing. You are the God that shows up. And so would you show up in our hearts and lives today? God, you are our God. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. to fulfill